how can all of your marketing and messaging be making a positive impact on people, whether they take action or not? If you love doing photos, go on Instagram. If you like doing writing, do blogging. If you like audio, maybe do a podcast. Focus on what you're great at. Marketing is really just the articulation of why your product is good. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Krantz, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. Hello and welcome to Perpetual Traffic, episode number 99. We've got a great guest for you guys today. Uh, super excited. We've got uh, Noah Kagan, the founder of AppSumo, uh, an eight-figure company, the 30th employee at Facebook. Yes, the 30th employee at Facebook, if you haven't heard that story yet. He's just one of those guys that's always been way out front, way out front. Sometimes you hear Ralph talking about Wayne Gretzky and skating to where the puck's going to be instead of where it is right now. And I think Noah really is a perfect example of of somebody like that. So if you want to sit in and listen to a conversation with somebody that executes and is always figuring out kind of ways to get more traffic fast, get more free traffic, just get more high volume of traffic, this should be a pretty fun one. Molly, thanks for making this happen. Noah, welcome to the podcast. Let's get rocking and rolling. Thanks for coming on, Noah. I heard you're going to talk about some smart stuff. Hopefully. So you started a new podcast four months ago. Yes. And your blog, your blogs obviously get a lot of traffic. And I know you came on here. We wanted to hear about your your content distribution strategies and how you're building these, you know, warm audiences that you can retarget because that's just called free traffic, which is fun for everybody. So what tips do you have? How have you gone about this? With marketing, I like having a very clear goal. So my goal for my podcast, No Kagan Presents, is to get 100,000 downloads an episode. And it's challenging. And I, I think your, your goal should have some time frame and it should be a kind of scary. Not impossible, but you know, realistically impossible. The unknown of life is the most interesting part for me. Mm. And if you're doing things that are just super known, like there's not really that much growth going to happen in it. Like, growth generally comes when you're scared or when you're trying something new. So have a clear goal. And with the podcast, it's being very clear about what affects the growth of it and i was shocked because like i you know i would buy ads to it i bought a lot of facebook ads to it didn't do anything i emailed out about it the numbers didn't change and so you have to be kind of like all right well what is changing the dial and so what i've noticed is that if i'm on other shows changes the dial if i have higher quality sound changes the dial if i have a topic and then i look at what topics have actually been the most popular if i ever talk about business very popular if i talk about non-business things not popular yeah and i think people need to spend a little time kind of observing what's working and then figuring out that diagram for what do you want to do and what does the market want and then find that happy medium in the middle no i agree i think the success of our podcast has definitely ads and email have definitely helped us in terms of launching and keeping people coming back and and listening but making sure that we're choosing topics that we know our people are interested in. When we sway away from traffic, people don't like it as much, right? Um, But when we talk about the latest, greatest new tactical tips on how to buy traffic, those are our most downloaded episodes. Of course, the, the audio and our editor, Darren Clark, all of the work that he does has really helped the podcast because it makes it more consumable for people. Yeah. I mean, when I launched the podcast, I kind of copied the launch model 
And it was just like this huge launch where I got a bunch of companies to give me free things. And that's actually a great marketing tactic, which is go to companies that want free advertising in exchange for their product. And then basically you can give out free products so that people can find out about you and then tell their friends. So they get promotion, you get more people, and then those customers get free stuff. And so like doing kind of like a contest when I launched worked really well. And plus those companies, uh, you know, like Miles Shorts or Manal Bags or Topo Mats, whatever it was, like they then promoted on their social channels. So I actually think kind of an interesting strategy that, that's worked really well for me is how do you do cross promotion effectively? I love that. That's, that's something we struggle with big time. Everyone wants more customers. I've never met any business who's like, dude, we can't have more customers. <laughs> Maybe if you're like a tiny ramen shop and then you have to be a hipster and then you have like, you know, like Tatsuya in Austin, like now you have like a one hour line to eat some noodles. But but the point is like everyone wants more customers. And so I think if you can approach people with a message of like, hey, can you give me your product or service or software, which is almost free, I'll promote it to a certain amount of people and then you'll get all this exposure at no cost. Most people will say yes to that. And then subsequently, you can even ask them like, hey, when I launch this thing, whatever it is, do you think you can mention it to people? And it doesn't even have to be a launch. You could have this just ongoing. And people are doing this lightly, but I think it's a, a strategy that's worked really well for me. And I probably need to even do more of it. So I, I actually do uh, giveaways once a quarter. How do you go about it? You just kind of like email someone at another company and say, hey, let's let's do this thing. So there's a few things that have worked overall, and I, I can also go into more tactics, but I also like encouraging the strategy and the theory of things because I think it helps in understanding. So a lot of people think, well, I don't have a large audience like you, so I can't do this. And that's total horseshit. What you do is just reach out to companies that you already use. So for me, I just use certain products. So I use a Manal backpack. I use a Topo mat. Uh, I eat Quest bars. I'm not trying to even give plugs. I'm not sponsored by anybody or anything. But I reach out to them and I say, hey, I really love your stuff. Like do it on LinkedIn, do it on Twitter, do it on email, do it on their Facebook, whatever it is, Instagram. Hey, I love your stuff. Uh, is there a way that you know we can start, can we talk about working together some way? Like I have a, you know, I have an audience. You don't have to say how large your audience is because frankly, it doesn't right. matter. Like you could have 100,000 email subscribers that don't care about you. The more yeah. important part is that can you actually help them with their business? And most people are pretty excited to have other people promote them. Like if I was selling uh, bananas, Noah's bananas, and you said, hey, I have this Instagram account. I want to promote it. Can you send me like a pack of bananas? Damn, that's awesome. And guess what happens? Once you do that, other people will see that you're promoting them. And they'll be like, hey, man, you, you did this. Can I send you my product now too? And, and it's actually worked out well. So it's kind of a snowball effect. Well, it has. So what I've noticed for me is that like AppSumo, one of the biggest ways we've grown and even with OK Dork and my podcast and, and what I've encouraged other people is through contests, these kind of either as a co-promotion or as a giveaways. And so now once a quarter, I systematize it where I, it's in my calendar. Uh, we, we use King Sumo, but there's like Gleam.io or Rafflecopter mm -hmm. and, and a few others. And we just run, we run giveaways. And so I just get other partners to give me their stuff because I've spent time building the relationship. I promote the crap out of it. And then like I get new people finding out about me, those people, you know, the partners win and then people find, you know, either find out about me and, and get free stuff, which, you know, kind of everyone wins. Yeah. I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit on this. We used to have a coaching client, Julie sure. Ahas. She's a great example of somebody that if you're listening right now and you don't have a huge audience, you can start small and start with other smaller partners and you guys build each other up. And so Julie Ahas, four years ago, she had never written a book in her life. She was like a scientist. Now She's a multiple New York Times bestselling author, fiction author, not nonfiction, but fiction. And uh, she's friends now with the author yeah. of Fifty Shades of Grey. She's done all this through social media, and she amplifies everything with Facebook ads. So when she has new books coming out, she runs Facebook ads. But she does a lot of the contests 
the giveaways like you're talking about. And she partners up with other fiction authors. And so there's a small group of them and they always help each other. And it's made a massive impact. I mean, that's, that's built her entire brand. And she, she makes like big money now just purely selling her books. All the revenue comes from her books. No courses, nothing. I think conceptually at a high level, Keith, I really like that story is that it doesn't matter if you're small or big, but other people have your customers and you have other people's customers. And there are ways in non-competitive groups and areas that you can try to figure out ways to work with them. It doesn't have to be just a giveaway. It doesn't just have to be, it can be a guest post. It could be just like, hey, let me promote something for you. Hey, we could do a bundle together. Uh, I just think it's more of like as a strategy, look for people complimentary to you that you can work together with. I think part of the problem that most people have, Keith, is that they try to do it too late. So they want to work with someone else and they email them like, hey, can I just do this for you? I'm like, I don't, I don't know you. <laughs> yeah. So maybe make a list of the 10 people that you'd love to work with in the next six months. And then once a week, you spend 10 minutes just emailing them and trying to connect with them or setting up a phone call. And then by the end of the six months, I promise you, you would work with at least one of them and you'll get some results out of that. Yeah, we created a short list at DM, like 10 other brands that we might be interested in doing, you know, some sort of co-promotion with in the future. So we gave that list to our social media manager and she started mentioning them in tweets and distributing their content and kind of trying to make social media friends with them, right? Um, I mean, it's kind of like the customer journey for your business. You probably want to run ads to something of value before you ask someone to buy. So I think these relationships work in a very similar way. Um, and a good way to start is, yeah, email them once a week or tweet you know, their content. Make sure that they see you doing it. Uh, try to play nice before you ask them to do something for you. As Stephen Covey said, which is one of my favorite books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you got to do you know urgent stuff, but you also try to think about the important, not urgent stuff, right? Because that's where you get a lot of big wins. And some of my biggest like you know growth and business success, I'd say, is because I spent a lot of time with building relationships, setting up dinners, hosting events, you know, with Tim Ferriss's and the Ramit Sethi's and with Ryan years before, you know, ten years before. Right. And so, for people should think in like if they think in that ten year time frame, they're way more likely to work with the people they want to. So your podcast specifically, what other things are you doing? You're getting on other podcasts like this one, uh, which should be great. Everyone go listen to Noah's podcast. Oh, Molly. Aww. You say that to all the nerds. I think, you know, what's been interesting is that each different product has different marketing channels. So what I've tried to do at a conceptually high level is called content multiplication framework. Basically, it's instead of taking one thing and then having each channel, like you have to keep figuring out new things. Different products have different marketing needs. So like with AppSumo, ads have worked really well. Content marketing has not worked well. Mm. With podcasts, being on other shows and just doing high quality interviews is the only thing that I've ever really seen it drive subscribers versus other things have not moved the needle whatsoever. And so I think you have to be aware of what channels are actually working for your medium and then go really deep on that. The second part of content multiplication is how can you not keep starting over? So I made a video called Big Marketing Strategies. And then I put that on YouTube and then I put it on Facebook uh, ads. Then I put it on my blog and then I put it on Quora and then I put it on LinkedIn. And then I, you know, and eventually you're like, okay, which channels are actually the most effective? And then how do I make that systematic each week? So I have a guy that I work with. I hired someone to say, hey, I wrote the original idea. Can you help me edit and multiply the ideas that I'm already creating? Instead of always trying to find new things, just take what's already working and then spread that to a lot more places. Yeah. So, and we, he just has KPIs each week, which is like, help me post it on Quora, help me get one guest post for it. 
we used to do Pinterest, but that wasn't doing anything. We're testing on Instagram, but I'm probably going to kill that. Right. And, you know, so it's like, how do you multiply what's already working versus trying to always find the next new thing? I love that too. It's so specific to each product and each avatar that you're speaking to. People ask me questions like, does Instagram work or does Pinterest work? And it's like, yeah, of course it works, but it depends on your business and your product, right? It's not, does this platform work? It's not a black or white answer. So um, I I think that you'll find that the different distribution networks are going to depend on your market and who you're speaking to. I saw that you did an ask me anything on Reddit. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, that that was cool. It was fun. And I actually got a crap ton of traffic. And I was surprised how few haters I got. So how did it happen? Someone reached out and said, hey, would you want to do an AMA? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't care. And I love Reddit. I'm a big Redditor. And I've been on Reddit a few times. And mostly people just talk shit to me. Like, oh, you're fake. You're I'm like, all right, there's no point to this. But right. this guy said, hey, you know, I, you, you know, get in Reddit arguments. Yeah. And then they're all calling me like uh, you that one time, you know, you were a bum. I'm like, OK, I, I don't understand why you guys are so angry. Yeah. At me. Yeah. Thanks. Anyways, this guy posted it and, it, you know, it's actually really nice to give back. One of the things actually I didn't try to hack it, but I was like, oh, it'd be cool to be one of the most popular posts of all time. So I said I would donate to Reddit for every comment. And it turned out that's actually, it worked out kind of well. People, that wasn't like my intention. I just thought it would be really fun. And I've been trying to donate more money. And people ended up getting, I think it was like, you know, 1,200 comments or something like that. It was some ridiculous amount. And I actually really enjoyed commenting back. Wow. We have to give downwards as much as we want to take from upwards. It's kind of the mentality mm-hmm. that I look at. I want to I want to meet people that are more successful and have done things that I aspire to. But I also think to get there, you also have to make sure you're giving back uh, to the people that want to get to where you are today. <laughs> What happens as you get older, I'll just say from experience, is that as you, bec- as you do... Mar- no, no, no. As you- it's funny. This is what old people say. You know, in my day, Molly and Keith, let me tell you about the birds and the bees. No, so what happens, though, is that as you get more experienced, you kind of just start saying, well, I did that before. It never- it'll never work again. That's not good. Just because one date didn't work out doesn't mean you'll never date again. You just, you know, it's just that date didn't work out. And so I think as a marketer, you have to stay naive. Just I see this all the time. So I've- somebody will say, I- we tried video ads. They don't work could be something subtle that you did with that strategy or it could be the wrong timing. It could be anything. I think that's a very, very good way of putting it. Yeah. Video ads have not worked for me, but I have a friend who runs a fitness business through Instagram making eight figures. And there's other people that do just YouTube that make probably seven figures. I know, if, you know, Simple Pickup or Christian Guzman or some of these other guys. And so you have to also figure out what medium is like your advantage, right? Like I suck at taking photos. I take a photo, I put it on Instagram, it, it you know, it looks like poop because I just don't care. My friend Mary, paleo <laughs> chef, she takes a photo and then she changes the lighting. Then she changes all these other filters. That she I, uses a filter. She uses a filter, which I don't even know what to do. I'm like, I don't know. It looks fine. <laughs> I thought it looked fine. She's like, can't you see the glare? You're like, Taco, don't you like this? Yeah, I was like, can't you see the, the glare and the angle? I'm like, nope. <laughs> uh, and then, no, no, get this, get this. Then we're at, the, we're at the Warriors game. So she takes a photo to post on her channel. And, and I think this is a very good lesson. I've, it's stuck with me. So she takes the photo and I'm like, all right, you're going to post it, right? Or you, and she's like, yeah, I'm posting it. I was like, okay. And then she takes the photo in the first quarter. And then by the fourth quarter, she's still on her phone. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm working on the caption. I'm like, what do you mean you're working on the caption? Post the photo. I mean, not that I don't, I don't want to be just, it's not that I wanted to be featured. I was like, well, what are you, what are you wasting? She's like, well, no, I want it to be right. And on one hand, you could be like, dude, all right, clearly they're, you know, they're, they're stupid about social media, but. No, it was actually the opposite. She was taking it seriously. 
And she was a professional with it. Yeah, it's copywriting. Yeah, it's the copy in it. It's the photo. It's the filter. It's that she takes it seriously. So sometimes when things aren't working, it's because you're treating it like a hobby and you're not treating it like a professional. And that's why Mary has a, you know, she has a thing called Fat Fudge, which is a food that she created. And, it, you know, it's, I think it's almost sold a million dollars mostly from her Instagram account. Wow. And that's because she doesn't treat her Instagram account like me with my poop. <laughs> she, you know, she treats it like a professional, which is amazing. And, you know, with my content, I try to do that. And I've actually realized with my YouTube, like, I got to put a lot more time into prepping the videos instead of just kind of ad-libbing them. And yeah, you might see other people do it and it works for them. But the reality is that it maybe just seems like it's that easy when they're actually spending a lot of time on it. I think this is a big one. I've been apologizing to my team a lot because I tend to take a long time creating a storyboard for a video, even if it's a short video or a long copy post or something like that. But it's interesting because it usually comes out and works really, really well. But I end up taking a long time, uh, sometimes two to three days to write one post. But then I look back a few months later and I was like, wow, that's a post that can run for like a year straight. Um, and I was just listening to an amazing book. It's called Pitch Anything. And it's, uh, it's about framing and stuff and, and pitching to startups and uh, funding and stuff like that. And And the point was, he was using the example of Jerry Seinfeld, how he spends about a month prepping for any good comedian for a three-minute segment and how the first three minutes is everything. But even for a 20-minute, his typical 20-minute segment spends about two to three months uh, prepping for that one 20-minute segment. So we go and we look and we see these guys and and we think that they're just so naturally funny, which, which they are typically. But nobody realizes the amount of prep that's put into some very, very short uh, pieces of content and it's 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 amazing and so sometimes that right there what you just said is, is game changing and that's why sometimes I, I i tell people it's okay if you spend you know too much time thinking about what you want to say on a message because that's what's going to make the biggest impact aaron sorkin he's got a master class actually and i saw this in his master class about screenwriting and just writing story-based writing he's one of the best screenwriters in hollywood few good men social network Steve Jobs, the good one, (laughs) the West Wing. There's this little clip and maybe we can put like the juicy quote of it in the show notes at digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast episode uh, 99. But he talks about bulking up to write. And it's exactly what you talked about, Noah, about the research that you do. Your best articles that have gone viral are the the ones that you put the time and the research into. And I just want to play this. Once I say I'm starting until the moment I deliver it is usually about 18 to 24 months uh, on a screenplay. But most of that time, uh, most of that time is spent bulking up, preparing to write. Once I start typing the screenplay, if everything's going great, I I can usually do it in two or three months. What came before that was months and months and months, probably a year of not writing, of banging your head against the wall, doing a, a lot of research, whether it's reading or meeting with uh, people. Uh, most days you wake up in the morning and you go to sleep at the end of the day and you haven't written anything. And uh, it's, it's a demoralizing feeling. On the other hand, uh, those much less common days uh, where you did write and you wrote something good, you feel like you can fly. If you wanna do something uh, and make it good, Sometimes that extra research that you put into it, it changes the game and makes that video or post or Instagram, whatever it is, that much better. 
So Noah, if you were starting from scratch um, and you wanted to, you know, generate new customers for your business and you wanted to create content to do so because, you know, that's a, a good way to give value first, where would you start? All right. So I've had an idea. It's a stupid idea, but I love those are my favorite I want someone to create packing lists, meaning that like if people who are travelers. Yes. Yeah, right. It's like if you're traveling to like I'm actually going camping this weekend. Packing list for Thailand. Exactly. Like, hey, here's a few of my preferences. Here's where I'm going. Check the weather, figure it out and just tell me what to get. And maybe I don't have to follow, but at least make my life easier. So there's two separate things, which is number one, when you're starting a business, you want people to have that. Yes, that, that sounds great. I'll get, here's the money. Most people they have a business and it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, and so you got to find things that people want. And so with content, I would, Molly, my thought is I kind of was saying earlier is that not every marketing strategy will work for every business. So mm-hmm. content marketing never, re- like traditional blog content did not work for AppSumo. It's our right. number three thing for sumo.com though, you know, our mm-hmm. email marketing software. It works great for that. AppSumo, it doesn't. And so I think what, the, not I think, what I do is I say, what's my goal? What's my time frame? And what are my targets each month? And then what are the marketing activities per month that I'm willing to test out? And what is the expectation of it? And then every month I review the performance of it and then I cut some and then I increase others. So I say, all right, well, content did well. Let me do more of that. Ads didn't do well, cut that. PR did well, partnerships did well, affiliate, whatever it is. There's pretty standard ones. I'm sure there's some listicle that people can find. But I think that's more importantly than me to say content is the only way to grow a business. Absolutely. For people that are saying, all right, well, no, I have no, no nothing, no nothing. I, I, I think content's it. Fine. Sure. Most importantly is that you have to actually put, create content that people want to read, which you already know. People all know that, but they don't put in the work for it. So let me make it very clear. Right. If you are creating content, do two things. You have to put in a minimum of 20 hours of writing it. If you do not put in a cumulative mm. minimum of 20 hours of writing it, it's not great. I've never seen a really great article that lasts forever with an hour put into it. There is a direct correlation of the articles that I've taken the longest to write and I've had editors and paid people to help me review them and how well they've done. So like my Tony Robbins article went kind of viral. My article about how things go viral because we researched a bunch went viral. How I got fired by Facebook went viral. And viral, I'm talking like 100,000 views in a day. And Mm. it's only because I spent a month to three months writing it. Right. (laughs) <laughs> it was and it could still be short but i put a lot of hours into it and the second thing if you're starting out is i would probably spend the majority of my time writing guest posts uh, on other people's platforms because they already have people it's, it's kind of like throwing a party and you're a dj and you have great music but you're home alone <laughs> like why don't you go dj you know you're home alone it's kind of awkward go dj at someone else's party get out there like think about what what do rappers do yeah get out there right but i'm saying like i've never found a girlfriend because i waited at home and they're just going to magically knock on my door you can learn a lot about marketing from rappers. And one of my mm. favorite strategies is that they all feature each other on their music. Why do they do that? Right. One, it makes their music better. Cross promotion. And they each expand the pie for each other. Absolutely. So Drake got big because of Lil Wayne. And Bert, he has good music, but Lil Wayne and Birdman and Nicki Minaj. And, and then think about Justin Bieber. Now he's been with all these rappers, so no one thinks he sucks anymore. Right. Well, and then they create these little tribes and they're all cross-promoting one another. Yeah, and then they each help each other grow and it it works out symbiotic. Yeah, and I think even from a content perspective, if you're just starting out and say you're not a good writer, you can get good writers and you really have two things to offer, right? You either already have an audience that you're going to expose them to or you can pay them money. Um, So there really isn't an excuse for 
having bad content if you have an audience or if you have money to pay someone uh, that is is a good content creator in your market. For a lot of people out there, you also have to figure out what medium is your strong point. Like if you're ugly, I probably wouldn't do YouTube. <laughs> you know, like my friend JR is not, he's a good looking Asian guy and he loves doing film, but I, he's never put out a blog post. And well, it's like, well, I have to blog. It's like, no, just take advantage of your, if you love doing photos, go on Instagram. If you like doing writing, do blogging. If you like audio, maybe do a podcast. And so it, it's kind of, if you're more of an analytical, psychological person, maybe just do advertising. Yeah. And I think you kind of have to play to your strengths instead of, well, I'm supposed to write because everyone has a blog. And now it's, right. blogging is called content marketing. And I'm sure in another year, they'll call it a different name. Right. But uh, figure out the thing you, you like doing and you're good at. Yeah. Blogging does not equal content marketing. Blogging is like one one thousandth of content marketing. So find something you're good at. Keith and Ralph and I just like to talk into these microphones and bring cool people like you on. So that's why this podcast has been a success. We enjoy doing it. Um, and I think that's that's key too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just go make sure your stuff is really good. And then it makes everything a lot easier. And then do your advertising and marketing all around the stuff that's great. So find whatever your best article is and then just advertise that to a very targeted audience. And I'm sure there's articles on johnloomer.com or I put out one on OKDork about how to do ads or DM has a bunch of content on marketing for advertising. And for me, I just, the way I've done it, I kind of call it my restaurant strategy. So all my ads, I don't ever do an opt-in right now. And I might, and it might change, but right now I just say, hey, here's a great article or here's a great thing. There's no opt-in, just enjoy it. It's like a meal. Come enjoy the meal. Yeah. So when you go to a nice restaurant, they don't give you the bill first. They give you a meal, which is kind of weird, but Mm. that's how they do it. And then at the end of the meal, they're like, hey, if you enjoyed it, you know, here's your bill. And you're like, cool. Yeah, that was a great meal. And so that's kind of the approach I've been doing with my advertising, which is come enjoy whatever I'm marketing. So content mostly. And then then I do retargeting, which is my opt in. So I never I don't actually ask aggressively at all during the initial uh, meal. And that's actually so far I've been getting like around a dollar email signups. Uh, which for quality, it seems like quality people based on just you know stocking the people that sign up. Totally. I mean, that's the value first strategy that we use. And it, it allows people to experience you before you ask for something. You know, that's like walking up to someone on the street and asking them for money. Uh, but if you called me, Noah, and said, hey, I need some money, I would probably be more likely to give you money than the person on the street because we know each other. There's some relational equity there. So it's the same thing with with online marketing. And I agree, most of what we do at Digital Marketer now is simply retargeting people that are coming in to read our blog, listening to our podcast, people that have already gotten value. And they say, wow, these people are smart. I trust them, right? They've given me value. So if I give them something in exchange, it can only be better than what I've gotten from them in the past. So I, I really think that's the way to especially build any type of, of online media business right now. I think that's a very good message. Yeah. At our company at Sumo.com, we did Instagram. And we grew it to 100,000 followers. We spent maybe 20, 30,000 bucks and it drove zero dollars. And I kid you not, we promoted on the Instagram account for months. Like, hey, check out Instagram, check out our site, check out our site. Zero, literally zero. Not like, oh, it was maybe maybe 50 cents. No, literally zero. <laughs> and you read another article that's like, Instagram is the greatest. And I think the bigger concept, though, is that 80%, and I hate the 80-20 rule because we all know it, but we don't do it. Right. Everyone's heard it. I have 80-20, but I, I got to do 80 of everything. I think we have to be aggressive on is surgically killing 
things that are not working or not even showing any promise very aggressively. And then very aggressively on the flip side of that, any promise you got to go crazy on. Understanding that if you do find something that's working, you're probably the visionary or the person that's staying out front to figure out the new and cool stuff. So if you do find something that's working, hand it off to someone who's a little bit more consistent, who's okay with doing the same thing every day, because it will allow you to essentially keep that machine in your business running while you can go find other cool stuff to do. I think part of it is what you brought up right when we started this little conversation here is a little bit of its fear. I think a lot of it is because we do get bored, but I think part of it is fear. Like we don't want to be left behind. Who else is doing something better than us? And we don't want to get left behind. So we want to be doing some of these new strategies. And I think some of it's that too. So I think having the people on your team, just like Molly said, and then also being able to very, very intentionally look back, you know, every, every month or every quarter at what really was working. Let's make sure we keep doing those things. I think people should not feel guilty. Right. Molly, like what you're talking about, a lot of us that run companies or do marketing have a lot of guilt. Yeah. Because, oh, I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. It's like, no, find the things that you're great at. So I'm great at starting. Like in terms of marketing, I'm great at finding new opportunities. So like one thing I've been looking at is like Google Chrome as like the Chrome extension market. And I don't think a lot Mm. of people have tapped that out. So I'm really great at finding it and figuring it out and getting it kind of going. But similar to you, Molly, like I... I personally am not as great. I mean, I'm not bad, but I'm not great at maintaining. And I truly believe you'll only be as great as the people around you. Mm, absolutely. And so go find your strength, whatever it is, and don't apologize for your weaknesses and focus on your strength and then find other people to complement that. And I think people know this advice as well. Most of the stuff we say you've probably heard before. And that's why, I mean, we can talk tactics, but again, it's like you've, you know the answers, which is go do what works, focus on what you're great at, and then bring people around you that can support you in the other ways. Like, I have a guy who I found that's amazing at Quora. I didn't think you guys knew Quora, Q-U-O-R-A.com. Yeah. And he's a top whatever thousand or top hundred person on Quora. So I pay him to help me with Quora and teach me it. Why? Because that's not my jam. Right. Right. I don't go to medical school. I just go to a doctor. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't need to know everything. <laughs> or do you? I don't think I'm the best marketer out there. I think what I've done professionally, I think what more people should think about is, do I have the right product? Is my product actually great? It's not generally Mm. marketing challenges. And then from there, how do you find the people that are best in different marketing strategies or channels and really just enable them? Right. Well, if you have the best product, I mean, marketing is really just the articulation of you know, how your product takes someone from an undesirable before state to a desirable after state. So marketing is really just the articulation of why your product is good. So that's a great question. How do you know when your product is great? Because a lot of people out there are like, well, mm. I'm doing these marketing tactics and I love DM and, you know, Noah, I've, tr- I've listened to your stuff on Noah Kagan Presents podcast and I've tried all this shit, but it's not working. How do you actually know when it's working? What do you think about that? I think you know if your product or service is good, if you can actually change someone's life with it. If you can in some way improve the way someone feels, what they have, how they think about themselves, their average day, right? If you sell a razor and maybe it saves someone five minutes a day, you have transformed their life in some way. And they will tell you, they will tell other people, they will become an advocate, they will promote your brand. I think that's when you know you have a good product or service. I was using Slack this morning and it's become more popular with with a lot of tech companies and they've been down the past two days. 
And that was actually a very interesting reminder. Like, it kind of sucks. I, I really need this product to run my business better. Right. And that was the moment that I was like, ah, this morning, I was like, that's a good product. It was the pain of disconnect. I've actually never traditionally studied marketing. I didn't have a mentor, but I found Mint.com when I worked there as director of marketing. And I was like, oh, this is a really great product. Who do you think are the most likely people? And we did a bunch of research. We went out and talked to people, which most people that work online don't want to do. Right. Talk to other humans. <laughs> but at Mint, I spent a lot of time thinking, like, who really needs help with personal finance? What's the messaging for them? And then I zeroed in on those people. So with Mint, it was like personal finance bloggers. And it was like young professionals because for them, it was a really appealing market. And so then I only marketed towards them. And this is actually for everyone listening, a really great way you know you're doing your marketing well. You have people say this. This is the phrase they're going to say, I see you everywhere. Right. And it's not retargeting. It's not the retargeting. Right. I hear about you everywhere. Yes. That means you're doing your marketing well because the right audience is seeing you everywhere. Right. And talking about you. Noah, what's funny, I'm not sure if you remember this, but a few years ago, I ran into you in a bar in Austin, and you told me that our ads here at Digital Marketer were boring. And (laughs) now I take that as a compliment based off of this conversation. You are quite welcome. It's interesting you said, I do remember that conversation, and I don't apologize for it. (laughs) What's interesting with that is that, you know, with Sumo.com or even with OKDork.com, my personal site. We, we spent a good amount of ads and I've spent, you know, I worked on help build Facebook ads and I've spent millions personally on ads. You worked um, for Facebook. Yeah. But what's interesting is sometimes in business, like we make these assumptions like it's boring, but sometimes you do have to test it and see what works. So a lot of times I just want to be funny and I'm, or I think I'm funny, but that may not actually work. So with advertising, I think it's one of the, the coolest channels specifically because you can actually try scary, funny, hope you know, statistics, social proof, whatever type of method, and actually see psychologically what convinces people to go and, you know, purchase your product or engage with you. Yeah. Don't make the assumptions about what will work. Oh, totally. I think that that generally is a bad trap for people. Yeah. We just launched a traffic course here at Digital Marketer. And inside of the course, I give 11 ad hooks, right? Because you never really know what someone is going to respond to. And, And Keith, you and I talked about this, not only which hook, right? Whether it's you have this afterwards that you didn't have before. You're going to feel different. Your average day is going to be better. Your status is going to you know, increase or maybe use a story to tell or an analogy, a comparison, you know, a logic statement, a fact. Like you said, there are so many different hooks that you can use to sell. And so many people are worried about which one's going to win. Okay, I tested all of this. Now, what's the winner? And it's always fun to find a winner, but it doesn't mean that the other ones don't work. And Keith, you and I talked about this. It's okay to have like four or five or 40 or 50 different marketing messages running at one time because they're all going to appeal to different people. Noah might respond to more of a humor-based ad while Keith is more logical and I'm more feeling-based. Yeah, I actually think that's one of the biggest mistakes that, that people that are running traffic are making right now is getting over analytical and trying to turn off all, you know, everything that's not a winner because yes, one might be a little bit lower performance wise or costing you a little bit more on a per click or maybe a per lead basis, but that person might actually end up spending more money with you. You know, unless it's way outside your range, you have to understand that there's so many different personality types and it's okay. 
that everyone gets excited about A-B testing, but most A-B tests, even though it's got 99% confidence, there's still 1% confidence it's not going to work. And what happens though is that it's not longitudinal enough, meaning that when you're testing things, like we've done this numerous times. So we tested our email templates and it was like a 20% increase or we changed some of our pricing and it was literally a 10% increase in revenue. But most of our tests are one month long, give or take. And what happens though is you don't realize that there's like sentiment that's poor or it's a crappy customer experience. And six months later, things are down. And that's happened on our email templates. That's happened on our pricing with, with Sumo. Right. Then how do you even figure out, diagnose where that came from? So I think just being sensitive and aware that you have to not just like jump to conclusions right away. If people think about their marketing, treat people like you would in the real world, like yeah, you might be able to be fake nice to somebody for 30 seconds to get them to you know, give you their business card or, or get them to set an appointment with you. Yeah, you won in the beginning there, but you don't win in the end because he walks away with a crappy feeling. And the same thing happens with your leads and your customers. And that's exactly to what you just said. And so sometimes that's hard to measure. But if you really think about how can all of your marketing and messaging be making a positive impact on people, whether they take action or not, then you're going to win in the end because they're going to come into your funnel, into your world with open arms instead of closed arms and, and kind of skeptical. Part of the problem is that when you get some level of success or notoriety or accomplishment of what you want, you kind of stop doing the things that got you there. Like the, literally the number one marketing tactic and traffic tactic, like it's literally 100% always works. All you have to do is once you've run your company for a year or five years, I've been running Sumo.com and AppSumo for seven years. All you have to do is say, all right, well, what worked in the beginning? And you're like, oh, we used to do this a lot and we don't do it anymore. And then you go do that and it works again. And you're like, why did I stop doing that? And I, I can't tell you how many times I've had those conversations with people. Yeah, it worked. We quit doing it. Why? <laughs> Just because we forgot. I think the bigger thing is that it's boring. And, and I think that's the part that a lot of us have to overcome in marketing, where it's actually the boring stuff wins. Right. And if you can outlast your competition and if you could stick with something that's working longer, you'll generally win. But uh, we all want to kind of find the next new tactic that we can go try when more than anything, just most people already have something working. What they don't do is say, how can I double what's working today? Right. How can I find something that works, do more of it, and then kill what's not working? Awesome. I noticed on your site, appsumo.com, you've got a contest landing page, and it's at appsumo.com forward slash growth hacker dash contest. And we'll link to that in the show notes, but you're doing a giveaway $25,000 in prizes. And it's basically, I think if you want to go through what he talked about and kind of see a contest in action. I'm not sure how long this will be running, but if it's mm. not when the show goes live, maybe, I mean, you said you're doing about every three months or so or something like that. Yeah, we do them every quarter. So I'm doing one on OK Dork next week. Love it. So maybe we can link to that. Other than that, that's it. Great stuff. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Once again, uh, hit the show notes, digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast episode 99. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. Big ups. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Hopefully you enjoyed it, you listener. And uh, we will talk to you on the next one. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic with Keith Krantz, Molly Pittman, and Ralph Burns. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.